0: Kathy Myers is a high school English teacher, a single mom, a Harley rider, and a karaoke champ. She's also running for Congress this year. Myers is one of two Democrats fighting to replace House Speaker Paul Ryan in Wisconsin's 1st Congressional District. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, the Cap Times podcast about the 2018 elections in Wisconsin. Stay tuned for my interview with Kathy Myers, but first, let's catch up on the news from this week. Welcome back to Wedge Issues, Eric Lawrenson, Cap Times, podcasting producer and tech and features reporter.
1: Thank you very much, although I'm not really the special guest for today. No, no. Uh,
0: joining us today is very special guest Hildy the Cockapoo, my three-year-old dog who accompanies me <laughs> many places and has joined us today for the podcast. Is that
1: actually what Hildy is, a cockapoo? Yeah. Which I can only assume is a cocker spaniel mix with a... With poodle. Yes, that okay. is what she is. I love that. Oh, <laughs> you're the cutest little cockapoo.
0: She's a uh, she's a very close follower of politics. Um, she watches the news. She follows along with legislative hearings and such when I'm covering them. So um, I hope she'll have much to contribute today. I don't think she has anything to announce today. We'll it's see. It's the big
1: question on all of our minds. So he has
0: received some encouragement to run for governor. Um, Hildy,
1: just saying, if there is anything that you do want to say, that would be a good time.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, wow, she got profoundly She quiet. got very She stopped yeah. <laughs> Just cagey. Right. You know, I appreciate that. It's good political savvy.
0: Well, let's see if she can at least help us round up uh, our news stories this week.
1: Yeah, definitely. So first of all, let's talk about what has been happening in the Wisconsin context when it comes to a broader conversation that's happening right now about ICE, which of course is immigration and customs enforcement. Um, There has been increasingly a number of people on the left and Democrats talking about abolishing ICE in the wake of the controversy about treatment of migrants. And Mark Pocan has prominently become part of that conversation.
0: Yeah, so Democratic Congressman Mark Pocan represents the Madison area, and just this week he has actually introduced legislation to abolish ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, You know, there's some divide among Democrats really over whether— Abolishing ICE is the right answer, or if maybe uh, just larger reforms are the answer. Um, Senator Tammy Baldwin, for instance, is calling for reform rather than abolishing the agency in its entirety. Um, Mark Pocan was in town this week talking with reporters, and he said, at the end of the day, you know, whether it's reform or abolish, um, I think he's less concerned maybe about that. He says it's really a matter of semantics, but what he thinks people can agree on, at least among Democrats, is that some change is needed. Others will say there really just needs to be broader immigration reform before we do anything like that. But it'll be, this will be an interesting debate both at the congressional level, but also certainly it'll, it'll be playing out on the campaign trail.
1: So in other major national news, on Monday evening, President Donald Trump announced that he would be nominating Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. An announcement that has resonated in Wisconsin as well, right, Jesse?
0: It has. um, You know, anyone really that that Donald Trump would have appointed probably would have been cause for some debate here. But, um, you know, the the larger implication, I think, with any uh, Supreme Court nominee is that Donald Trump and uh, Mike Pence have, have both stated a desire to overturn Roe v. Wade, the decision that legalized abortion nationally. And the question is, will this judge or will any judge that Donald Trump appoints move to do that if approved and, and put on the court. So in Wisconsin, the implication of that is Wisconsin is one of a handful of states that does still have a criminal abortion ban on the books. That law is not enforceable as long as Roe v. Wade stands. But the conversation is happening certainly as uh, people are running for governor to determine you know, if if that ban is enforced again what will be the what will be the outcome of that? Now, a woman who seeks an abortion in Wisconsin cannot be charged under that law based on revisions to it, but the physicians who perform the abortions could be charged. So, one of the candidates for governor, Roys, who's a Democrat running, has said if she's elected governor, first of all, she would overturn that law, but secondly, if anyone is charged in the meantime, she would pardon them immediately.
1: Were Roe v. Wade to be overturned in a future Supreme Court decision? would Wisconsin's law just immediately become enforceable? My understanding is there are actually lots of states that have similar laws on the books that were Roe v. Wade to no longer be law of the land. Uh, abortion would immediately become criminalized.
0: So it really varies from state to state. Some states actually have um, provisions that if, if a national decision, you know, makes that law moot, the law goes away. Wisconsin doesn't have that. Um, other states overturned their bans after Roe v. Wade. Wisconsin did not. So um, every, every person that I've t- talked to on, on both sides of this issue has been fairly certain that the law would be immediately enforceable if uh, Roe v. Wade were overturned.
1: Got it. All right. Finally, there is going to be a debate happening tonight.
0: Uh, tonight, meaning Thursday. We're recording yes. this on, on Thursday. Uh, obviously, the episodes come out on Friday, so we can't preview what's going to happen in this debate because we don't know. Uh, this will be the first time that all eight Democrats who are running for governor will be on stage in a true debate fashion. The debate's being aired in Milwaukee and Green Bay markets. It's actually not airing on Madison TV, but it's streaming. Um, but, but really what this is, is the the start of The final countdown till the August 4th primary, we're essentially a month out at this point. And just a few days after that debate on Monday, we're going to have campaign finance (laughs) reports due. So we're going to find out what these candidates have really been taking in, how much cash they have on hand, what their ability is going to be to spend and get up on the air. And we're maybe going to start seeing things shake out uh, in a real way to determine who's, who's really viable at this point.
1: So last chance, Hildy. If there's anything that you want to say right now, I, I think time, our listeners, are, yeah, anything you want to say about your candidacy, Se- Hildy, Hildy.
0: Eric is chasing Hildy around with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Hildy is playing it really coy. I think she's not ready to make any yeah. any statements. Yeah.
1: But... <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to leave it there. Um, so, Jesse, you got to get skedaddling.
0: in. I do. Thank you for joining me again, and uh, we'll check back in next week.
1: Definitely. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye.
0: Um, We're going to start with a really easy question, and just tell
2: me why you're running for Congress. Well, I'm running for Congress because I feel as though the people of the 1st Congressional District haven't been represented for about 20 years. And I'm also running for Congress because I think I can win, and I can flip that seat and help flip the Congress, and also add more women to Congress, which I think is necessary.
0: Is it uh, easier, harder, or just a different kind of challenge now that Paul Ryan has announced that he will not be running for re-election?
2: Well, it's it's kind of a mixed bag, actually. So it's easier, I guess you could say, in that we're not running against Paul Ryan's name recognition. However, the Republican um, that we are likely to face will be well-funded uh, by Paul Ryan and the people that are supporting him. While... It's easier in one respect. It is still not easy. Uh, it's been interesting to see reaction to him dropping out. A uh, lot of people breathing a huge sigh of relief. And also um, a lot of people really enthused by the prospect now that we can take back this seat even more so. I always thought Paul Ryan was beatable. I did. I thought yeah. he was weak. Yes, I did. I thought he was weak. and I knew. I knew it was going to be a huge climb, you know, and it's still a huge climb, but I think that we are in a better position now to take back this seat.
0: You come from a political family. You're on the uh, Janesville School Board. Tell me just about your your history in politics from growing up to your elected offices that you've
2: held up until this point. Every night at dinner, in my family, talked politics and, and public service and community service. And I was raised on the idea that whatever government agencies, you know, are out there uh, are not these separate entities, they're us we are a part of it and we have a responsibility to our our neighbors and our community to be a part of it and be part of the decision-making process and and if we are fortunate enough privileged enough to be elected then uh, we are tasked with a, a really large burden to represent people and to make sure that we carry their concerns to whatever organization that we are serving on and we talked about this every single night. My dad was our council representative, mayor, board of supervisors. He served at every level of government, actually, and was uh, the minority leader of the Iowa House. My mother was a very engaged person in her community, in our community as well. You're always expected to leave things better than you found them.
0: Um, what, was, what was your political
2: journey? <laughs> you were sort of born to be involved in politics, but you know you, you could have gone the other way. I was expected to participate in my community, and that can mean a number of things. My journey started in 1972. I was 10 years old, and it was the first time I dropped literature for a congressional candidate. And uh, so after that, I remember key points. In 1976, I was an alternate delegate to the Democratic National Convention for Jimmy Carter. And we were really involved in that campaign. My dad was one of Jimmy Carter's earliest supporters. And Jimmy Carter even came to my house. Oh, my gosh. On a campaign <laughs> stop. Yes, I wow. was 13 years old. And it was uh, electrifying. And it was about the time Iowa got you know, really important mm-hmm. um, uh, politically. He took me to the Democratic National Convention as a guest. And I got to sit, you know, in the guest area and watch the proceedings. And I was just enthralled. (laughs) And so I decided then and there that I was going to go back. And in 1980, I was a senior in high school. I wasn't even eligible to vote yet, <laughs> uh, but I participated in my caucus mm-hmm. and I ran for alternate delegate. I ended up as an alternate delegate to the Democratic National Convention in 1980, which was really amazing. Um had a chance to vote on you know, on the platform and all sorts of things like that. And then I went to college where I was president of my Westminster Women's Association and chair of the Young Democrats there. Then I... Um, Uh, You know, I eventually started to teach, and teaching in and of itself is a different kind of community service and involvement. I also helped start um, a Gay Straight Alliance at the school where I teach. And it was a very contentious event. That was in 2007. And it still exists. And I think our school's a better place for it. And then, you know, Janesville School Board. I'm also, I don't know if you know this, but I'm also on the advisory committee on appointments in Janesville as well. So yeah, I've always been, I've always had a hand in it. It's it's what's expected, you know, to be a real community member, you have to be willing to give of your time and energy.
0: And you're you're part this year, you're part of or representative of two groups of people that are really becoming more visibly politically active, if not actually more politically active, teachers and women, whether it's running for office or protesting throughout the country.
2: What does that mean to you, and are you sort of cognizant of that as you're running? I am very cognizant of the fact that women and teachers are becoming very engaged and are voicing their opinions strongly on a variety of issues. It's, it's a long time coming. Uh, I welcome it. Uh, you know, teachers, uh, it takes a lot for a teacher to uh, go on strike or to walk out. I mean, things have to be really bad. And when teachers do it, they do it because, because their working conditions affect students. And, and when working conditions get to a point where you're no longer able to provide the kind of education that your students deserve, then you've got to say something. And uh, I've been on strike myself. Uh, we went on strike over attempts to take away one of our preparation periods. Our preparation periods are really important times for us to meet with students, to plan, to meet with our colleagues, uh, to, you know, grade at papers so that we can get things back to students in a reasonable amount of time. And the loss of those things really would have a terrible impact on our kids. I I knew this was coming at some point, mm-hmm. you know. Um Women are tired of not being as represented in Congress as they should be. There's only 20%, you know, of Congress is made up of women. And you see all these important decisions about our health and and reproductive care, about how much money we earn, you know, compared to other people. And all you see are a bunch of dudes, you know, in (laughs) committee meetings. And uh, (laughs) where where are we? (laughs) You know, why are you talking about me? And I'm not there. Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something that you've talked about in speeches. I think even even in one of your videos,
2: you say you're running because women won't be ignored. That's right. What does that mean? Well, that means that the time has come for you to listen to us. Now, you know, Women, I think we're on the way, you know, for uh, being more involved and, you know, taking more leadership. And so we've seen some gains, obviously, in the last uh, 50 years or so. But there are still decisions that really impact our lives that we are not uh, allowed to participate in. And we're just really tired of it. I guess you could say that we gave the guys uh, you know men a chance to do do right by us. and indeed, some women you know, have always sort of said, well, there's a guy that you know he'll you know he'll advocate for us and you know there's a really great man in the race, so let's support him. But honestly, you know, we gave him a chance and it's not going so well for us. If uh, you're a woman, you don't make as much as a man. If you're a woman of color, it is really just despicable how little money you make in comparison comparison to um, a white male. And so... It's time that we address these issues, and it's time that women sort of take the, you know, the bull by the horns here and deal with it ourselves.
0: The word ignored, I think, it sort of takes on uh, another meaning in your campaign. Do you feel like early on in the race and maybe even still you as a candidate were ignored? I think so.
2: I think that the attitude at the very beginning was that to counter... Uh, Paul Ryan and therefore counter Trump, we needed to add more testosterone to the race. I think that As we have gone on here, that uh, people are recognizing the lack of a feminine voice in Congress, a lack of collaborative working environment in Congress, and problem solving, which are things that women I think do very well and have proven themselves in. I've proven my journey that I can do all those things and I do them very well. I think that people are coming around to the idea that we do need more women in Congress, that we do need Need more teachers in Congress and people with my experience. Ordinary people with my experience who've had to, you know, sit at the kitchen table with uh, her kids and say, "Okay, well, if we're going to be able to do this thing that we want to do, then what? Where does the money come from? What? What? What uh, gets cut back?" Mm-hmm. So. That's what I, I think. That's this is all long overdue.
0: You're running in the August primary against a man, against Randy Bryce, mm-hmm. who got uh, a lot of national attention early on, has raised a lot of money. I know you just hit the million dollar mark. That's right. How do you catch up, or, or do you catch up? You know, how, how do you wage that primary campaign?
2: Well, I think we're doing very well. I think that when people see the two of us together, when they hear from both of us, that they come to our side, that they recognize that I'm the most prepared to take on the Republican and the most skilled in taking on the Republican that we're going to have to face. They also realize that we are at a really crucial point in not just this race, but in our history. And that we can take the the house in November. As a matter of fact, some surveys suggest that we are like one uh, one seat shy of being able to take the House. Well, that might be this seat. And there's you know no uh, dancing around this, folks. We have got to make sure that we have the strongest candidate coming out of the primary because there's so much at stake and so much to gain.
0: Are there policy issues that the two of you disagree on? Do you see it more of a, a contrast of viability or are there real policy items that you would differ on?
2: Well, definitely the viability issue is, you know, a huge contrast. My ability to um, discuss the issues and to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Republican who is a—I believe that the Republican is that's going to be on the ticket is a corporate lawyer, you know, and uh, well-versed and probably knowledgeable and uh, might be kind of quick on his feet. And so I think that that's a big issue. On policies, yes, there are some differences that are— really Really, quite important. I am a very strong environmentalist. I have put forth a plan to get us off fossil fuels and to take us um, off fossil fuels as much as possible, up to like 80% by 2035. I advocate for doing this much more quickly than my opponent. My opponent um, also has supported pipelines. And I don't. Uh, The pipelines that are coursing through the uh, 1st Congressional District in all of Wisconsin carry tar sands oil, and they are run by the Enbridge Pipeline Company. And you should look up the Enbridge Pipeline Company because they have a history, and it's not a good one. I think that we need to be pushing so hard for renewable and sustainable energy, and there's no time to waste on this. There's too much at stake. So I would say that my primary opponent is not forward-thinking, enough at all in this case. That's one issue. I have always supported a woman's right to choose and have control over her own body and her own reproductive care. It is a very personal and private conversation between you and your doctor. And uh, my primary opponent has supported parental consent Uh, In the past, he changed his mind on that last year. I don't know why, but I've always understood the issue. So there's that. He has supported in the past the idea that local law enforcement should be doing the work of ICE as far as immigration is concerned. I've never supported that. I thought it was a bad idea. It's disruptive to communities. So there are some things that he is not very progressive on, I think.
0: Is there anything, as you reflect on Paul Ryan's tenure in Congress, that you think he's done well for the district?
2: No. <laughs> okay. That's honest. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> well, there was that post office that he renamed, you know, after Les Aspen. I mm. loved that. That was great. But, you know, Paul Ryan authored only seven bills for, you know, the first, what, 15 or 17 years that he was uh, before he became speaker. And one of them was the renaming of that post office, which of course makes complete sense and a very good idea. But you know, in the meantime, we, you know, experienced the loss of the General Motors plant in Janesville and the Chrysler plant in Kenosha, and we've seen manufacturing leave, and we have watched our roads crumble and our bridges crumble, and there being little investment, if not, you know, at all in uh, in our infrastructure. We have seen our dependence on fossil fuel maintained and in some cases, imp- you know, increased, and so... I just, I will think on that and I will get back to you. If I think of something, I will let you know.
0: care about this state deeply, and
1: these issues are going to be with me for a long time. Us talking about a five-year plan is not helping me. It may be fine for you, but it's not helping me. Now, whether they're from the community, I don't care. Whether they're from space, I don't care. As long as they can provide the best visual experience for Madison.
0: Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive.
1: These are Cap Times Talks, smart conversations about big topics in Madison, Look for Cap Times Talks on iTunes or anywhere else you find podcasts.
0: Are you ready to move on to the lightning round? Yes. Great. Okay. What's your favorite Wisconsin beer?
2: Oh, I like, uh, I like uh, a Spotted Cow. That's a common one I found. Yeah. yeah. It's a good beer. It's a good, light beer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it's really great after you've mowed the lawn yep. and yep. that kind of thing. Very reliable. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, you're a Harley rider, correct? Yes, I am. Where is your favorite place to ride? Is there a, a place in the country or the state or, or a favorite trip that you've
2: had? Well, there are a couple of them. I love riding through the uh, Kettle Moraine area and going along that route. There's um, there's a great web- website that you can go to that will show you different routes. Uh, my daughter and I usually, she's a rider as well, mm-hmm. and we like to take a trip where we go camping or just go up, you know, someplace and just try to find... You know, we don't really plan anything. We yeah. just try to get to a destination or an area. And so there was a lot of great riding up north, um, you know, in uh, near Lake Superior. Mm, we yeah. went up near there last year.
0: Such a pretty area. It is. Yeah. What is the best advice that your parents or, or another person who was important to you gave you growing up?
2: You know, my parents always believed in the sky's the limit about things. And they... Um, really are incredible role models. They always believed in if you see something that needs to be fixed or that you feel as like you could offer uh, you know, a solution to, then you should step up and you should be involved. There are three things I would say that my parents emphasized with me, hard work, community service, and leadership. And waiting for other people to deal with stuff just was not the way that we, we did things in my family.
0: Besides your parents, who would be your political role model or role models?
2: Hmm, Boy, well, I have great admiration for Barack Obama and Jimmy Carter. They are tremendous human beings. They, uh, I felt, cared about doing the right thing, even though it wasn't always expedient. And I think of that especially in terms of Jimmy Carter, who... Not only, you know, I mean, after he after his he served, he could have done the book tour thing. I mean, I know he's written a lot of books and done tours, but Jimmy Carter walks his talk, and he is about service and about trying to do what he can to serve humanity. And I respect him tremendously.
0: What is your favorite concert that you have attended? Oh <laughs> man! <When? laughs> oh boy! Or if, if you if you I, don't want to pick one, no, if you remember your first concert, that's my, a that's a good question. Too. My first
2: concert was Sticks. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, eight, I'm dating myself. <laughs> it was uh, Sticks, and I think I saw it in uh, near the Quad Cities. Oh, I saw sure, near the Quad Cities. Yeah, and and I believe I was fifteen or sixteen years old. Okay, yeah, and I, that was the first one that that came to mind and it was great it was great fun
0: (laughs) I'm sure it was (laughs) I'm sure they could put on a good show yeah
2: Yeah. oh I also um, went to the um, 4th of July celebration in 1981 under the arch in St. Louis
0: oh cool and
2: it was really tremendous it was early 80s sure and uh, Elton John was there wow and the Beach Boys were there yeah and it rained like crazy and everything (laughs) was mud and and, you know, just people were soaked and dirty, and it was awesome. <laughs> and the music was fabulous. Oh my gosh, that sounds great.
0: <laughs> well, I know you also have done some karaoke in your time. Yes. <laughs>
2: You, you've won a title at some point. I was uh, the winner of the State Line Idol contest uh, <laughs> out of Rockford in 2005. I won tickets to the Billboard Music Awards, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I went for a night in Vegas, and it was really, wow. <laughs> really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> What's your karaoke jam? My karaoke jam. Well, actually, I did a lot of things. I won on on um, uh, Carly Simon, "I Feel the Earth Move," mm-hmm. you know, and but I also did um, Aretha Franklin's uh, "Baby I Love You" wow. and. What else did I do? Oh, um, Juice Newton. Do you, you, <laughs> I'm not, you, familiar. You're not familiar. No, no. Okay. Well, we'll see if any of your listeners. Okay. know No, Juice Newton. Um, I think it's called the sweetest thing. Okay. So I did those three because I you had to compete like three times sure. and you know to you went through rounds and that's those were the three songs that I uh, I won on. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that, did I say Carly Simon? I think it's it's. Uh, Carol King, Carol King, yes, yeah. both I, I great been, voices, yeah. But i love, I love Carly Simon <laughs> yeah. too. So, but anyway, yeah, those are those are. The, I've done all sorts of things. I studied voice in high school and college. I did opera, and I really enjoyed that a lot. And I I really love doing karaoke every <laughs> so once in a while. You know, I haven't done it um, for a few months now. We did one. You know, we did a, a karaoke event. Yeah, we should do some more of those because yeah, it's just you know, it's it's just great getting people out to sing.
0: It's always nice to just let loose and
2: that's have the fun best with your coworkers part. and your friends yeah that is the best part you yeah. know and people cheer each other on mm-hmm. and it's just great fun
0: yeah yeah that, that's that's a good campaign fundraiser idea for sure <laughs> Uh, what what would be your pet
2: peeve, or do you have several, or any? Mm. I my One of my pet peeves is being late. Mm.
0: You were early today. Yes, I was.
2: <laughs> yes, I was. And sometimes I'm late, but it mm. drives me crazy. Sometimes yeah. there are things that uh, can't be uh, be helped, but I really like being early yeah. and on time, at least.
0: Yeah. Do you have – I mean, you're, you're an English teacher. Do you have any, like, grammar pet peeves?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? I I I'm hearing this a lot out of people lately where they say things like I seen, mm, yeah. You know, I seen him as he walked down the street or something like that mm-hmm. and they they, you know, don't understand the use of the present perfect tense and and I don't know where this have, this came from. So, you know, that that drives me a little nuts. Yeah,
0: I, that one grates on me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay this is this is also one of my favorites to ask people. If you had a Wisconsin bucket list, something sort of stereotypically Wisconsin that you haven't done uh, that you might like to try, what would that be?
2: Oh boy. I'm trying to think of what I haven't done. Yeah, you
0: run motorcycles? yeah. yeah.
2: I know. Um, I would like to go to Washington Island. Oh, yeah. I haven't been yet. I haven't either, and I would also like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard just wonderful things. I like Door County. Mm -hmm. I like, you know, I've motorcycled up through Door County before. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. Uh, But um, I've never been to the island.
0: Yeah. All right, are you ready for your last question? Yes. Favorite Wisconsin cheese? Ooh.
2: Hmm well i I really like a like a mild cheddar mm-hmm. you know yeah so or or and i I guess you know i'm i probably sound really boring, but i like i like Colby that's classic. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been. Thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, I should ask, too. Is there any, any parting words you want to leave
2: listeners with? Well, I would love it if you checked out our website. It's at kathymyersforcongress.com. And get involved. And since my heart still likes <laughs> to be, I'm coming home.
0: Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We've got new episodes coming out every week, so be sure to subscribe anywhere you find your podcasts and keep up with the latest. You can send thoughts or suggestions to me on Twitter at jessieopie, J-E-S-S-I-E, O-P-I-E, or you can email me at jopoien at madison.com. Check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table and Mad Splanners. And come back next week to get your Wisconsin politics fix on wedge issues.